Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 71, the Hunter Strickland episode of the That's So Mets podcast. Not a lot of New York Mets have worn the number 71. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and we have a pretty fun show for you today, considering the MLB is locked out. We have a lot to go through. A lot of names are leaking out there for the Mets uh, planning to interview or have interviewed for their manager spot, and we will go through all of those today. And Joe's latest top 20 Mets prospects list is out on SMY. Go read it, and we'll get even more in-depth on those on today's show as well. A lot of risers, uh, obviously some star talent at the top that you've already heard of coming off big-time seasons, but some new names in the top 10 as well that we're going to dive into. And, of course, the mailbag edition of the show and if you can't get enough of the that's so mets podcast like we said we are going to be live on our youtube channel quite often the next one will be thursday afternoon right around 4 30 uh and we have a pretty fun guest for you as well because not only is this guy an awesome musician but he's a big time mets fan and that is ron pope who will be joining us on the stream so joe that's enough of me rambling how you doing man what's going on Doing great. Uh, the Hunter Strickland episode. I remember watching the playoffs this fall and being stunned when Hunter Strickland actually entered a playoff game. And yeah. I was just like, <laughs> how, how, how it's just it just goes to show that uh, playoff teams have their flaws, too, to the point where in a playoff game, you have to put Hunter Strickland in. <laughs> Yeah, not where you want to be. So not a rock star list of Mets that have worn number 71. Um, the most recent is Akeem Bostic, but before him was Hunter Strickland. And once again, uh, not a number that we need to spend a lot of time on. But what we do need to spend plenty of the show on is who the hell is going to be the manager of this New York Mets team. They've gone out and spent a lot of money. They've gotten a lot of star talent, Max Scherzer being the headliner of that. And now they got to get... Now, the manager in baseball, before we get into these names, I'll just dive into the top question we got this week. And and two people I'll highlight here that asked in a different way. The first one was from Matt Campion, who said, what actually makes a good manager anymore? It can't just be going by the analytics. Boone stinks out loud. So what's the recipe for a good manager? Who are the best in the league? Who's the Belichick of MLB? And then Matt Williams had a pretty similar question uh, where he highlighted a lot of points and said, what do you guys think is the true role of a manager in 2022? So before we even get into these names, Joe, I'll throw that to you. This is a role that I think has not only been minimized in recent years, but is also hard to figure out and how much blame, although we know our podcast, we've heard a lot of anti Louis Rojas fans and uh, how that went. So what is the manager's actual role in today's game? Yeah, I think uh, Matt Williams uh, also mentioned how it's a thankless job. And I totally agree that it's a thankless job when you make the right calls. It's not a credit to you. It's a credit to the players. Uh, if you make a wrong call, it's your fault, not the player's fault. So it's a thankless job where there's no real winning. Um, but I was actually talking with a few people today about the manager. And I have kind of like a four-step requirement that I'm looking for a manager. And I think this is 
kind of what a lot of organizations think nowadays. Uh, number one, embrace the organizational vision, whatever that is. If that's analytically based things, whatever whatever the organizational vision is, it has to be a cohesive unit. Uh, gone are the days of the GM thinks this, the manager thinks this, the GM makes the team, the manager manages the team, and that's it. Um, I don't agree with the idea of a GM walking down to the manager's office and handing him a lineup card and saying, this is your lineup tonight and this is what you want to use. Uh, but I think it should be a collective discussion between them. And then they come to agreement and everyone should be on the same page. That's how you're going to get the organization running in the right, uh, in the right fashion. Uh, number two, it's someone who can lead a clubhouse and handle the players through a 162 game season, which we know is a grind. And having the ability to keep players motivated, uh, to keep them professional and doing what they have to do, uh, I think that's a very important thing. It's really, you know, managing people. Uh, number three, handle the media normally. Don't put your foot in your mouth. Don't say anything stupid. Uh, just handle the media like a professional, especially in New York. I think that's especially important because um, we've certainly seen managers say things that get spun into you know, maybe a little bigger than it is, but you just have to be smart with the media, especially if you're going to manage the New York Mets. And number four, don't be a complete idiot in game. Like you're going to, I think at times we overstate good and bad decisions. Uh, often decisions that are made in game are much more than kind of what meets the eye for us just sitting at home with watching on SNY or wherever the Mets are on. Uh, there's rest considerations, there's availability considerations, there's analytical considerations. It's it, There is a lot more into decision-making and ultimately just don't be completely stupid in your decision-making. Um, otherwise, it's you're going to get your wins and your losses where it's you make the right decision, bringing in a lefty against a lefty, and it just so happens that Juan Soto hits a home run and you lose the game. Like you can make the right decision and get the wrong result. And you can make a decision that's a little questionable and get the right result. So those things tend to balance themselves out for the most part over a season. Um, but for me, that's kind of what I'm looking for in a manager. Yeah, I think that completely checks out. I think that's spot on. I think where it is in today's game, it's, you know, it is somebody that is leading your club. It is somebody that has to speak to the media a ton when you look at sports right and it's no secret baseball plays an unbelievable amount of games compared to every other professional sport and with that comes media obligations that are pretty crazy right before and after every game you have to answer for decisions that quite frankly might not have even been yours right we know how analytically influenced a lot of decisions are in today's game you have to answer for failures that are sometimes out of your hand, right? There was a time, you know, I, and once again, not to revisit this a million times, but I understand why the Mets did move on from Rojas, but there was a lot of periods of last season where I would sit there and go, how is anybody talking about Rojas right now when the meat of the order is not hitting 93 mile an hour fastballs right down the middle over and over and over again? So and guess who has to answer for those after the game? So I think when you look at it, your point about being able to wisely, um, I don't know about handle, but communicate with the media is very important, especially in New York. If under a manager, that under an owner that had to deal with PR disaster after PR disaster last year, um, from, you know, the, the GM situation all over the place, it seemed like. So you just don't want to make things uh, worse at times. So I think there is a lot to it. But most importantly to me, it is keeping the vibes of the clubhouse in the right direction and keeping everyone together and knowing when to push guys a certain way and knowing when to allow grown men uh, to act as grown men. So... And I think that is a skill that is very, very difficult. And there aren't a ton of people on this world that are qualified to be the manager of an MLB team that also have perfected managing people 
I think that goes a long way. So it's not as easy as some people think it is. And while it's also maybe the least demanding in terms of, you know, it's like with football, you obviously have scheme and and that is just week to week at like no other way. And, you know, with every sport, you can argue system like with baseball, it, you don't really have a system with your team. You have approaches that are different, right? Are you an aggressive team? Are you a conservative team? Are you aggressive on the base paths? Do you do things outside the box? But how creative you can actually get uh, is pretty limited in terms of other sports. So with that being said, the Mets do have to hire somebody to lead this team. And this list right now is very interesting because it is a mix of, you know, some experience, maybe some would argue lack of experience. I'll just sit here and and say this right out of the gate. I don't give a you know what about experience or not. I think it personally has nothing to do with getting the right guy or not getting the right guy. Like when it leaked and it obviously wasn't, you know, isn't being taken to the next level that Curtis Granderson uh, could be on the Mets initial list. I was like, yeah, I would love this. And and a couple people politely tweeted at me like, no, we need someone with experience. And I'm like, do you realize this guy has lived a baseball lifetime of experience inside a clubhouse? relating to players and being one of the most well-liked teammates of the last decade plus. I think that goes a long way. And that's a kind of experience. Sure, you're not the manager, but when you are the veteran presence on the teams making big time runs to the World Series, that means something. So I think experience is a loose term uh, that you need to be careful with. Just because a guy has not been the manager does not mean he doesn't have experience. So it's no secret Buck Showalter is getting the most buzz right now. Uh, there's some rumors out there that, you know, he's uh, Scherzer's preference and maybe even Steve Cohen's preference. And there are plenty of fans that would not like this move. Um, there are people that would. We'll, we'll break down Buck. We'll spend a lot of time on Buck in just a moment. I want to get the rest of the names here. Joe Espada, Brad Osmus, who we've talked about because of his connection to Epler, Matt Quattrero, and Don Kelly. Those are the five names we've seen leaked pretty much across every uh, national reporter that is connected to the Mets. So before we get into Buck, Joe, is there is there anyone that really stands out to you on this list that you prefer? Or is there anyone also on this list that you, you kind of raise an eyebrow and go, okay, that that's a name that I didn't expect to hear mentioned in this conversation? So I didn't know who Matt Quichero was when Max Scherzer was doing his press conference last week. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not surprised upon, you know, at least looking into him a little bit. Uh, but at the time, I was just like, who is Matt Quichero? I have no idea. But obviously, he's the Rays bench coach. He was an assistant hitting coach with the Indians for three years while Lindor was there. So in theory, there's some connection there. Um, but I think overall... It is a good list. Uh, I think you summed it up at the beginning where it's a mix of experience. Obviously, Buck Showalter with the most experience. Uh, Brad Osmus with certainly not the best of results, but has some experience and was hired by Billy Epler to be the manager of the Angels. Uh, had an unsuccessful first year and owner Artie Moreno wanted Joe Madden because he became available and said, Brad Osmus is getting fired if I could get Joe Madden. Uh, so you wonder if Osmus is worthy of another shot. And then you have, you know, Joe Espada, a guy who worked for the Yankees for a long time, a current bench coach for the Houston Astros. He's been talked about as a future managerial candidate uh, for the last two, three years. Just hasn't, hasn't gotten the job yet. Uh, but one thing that I read was that he does more than your typical bench coach with Dusty Baker. Uh, Dusty's kind of more just leading the individuals, kind of how you mentioned in in the locker room. That's really what Dusty's doing. Espada's doing all the, you know, analytical work, all the in-game decision work, and he's advising Dusty on those kind of things. So Espada is a little more experienced than maybe your typical bench coach. Uh, Matt Quichero, like I mentioned, uh, bench coach for Tampa Bay, and Don Kelly. Uh, Younger guy, I think he's 40 years old. Um, he's the bench coach for the Pirates. Uh, he was with the Astros prior to that. So overall, you got yourself a list of kind of maybe your up-and-comers, so to speak, as far as managerial candidates go with Espada, Quichero, and Kelly. And then you have your guys with experience with Showalter and Osmus. Um, I'm with you that I think 
experience shouldn't be a prerequisite. I don't think it's a negative. Like if they hire Buck Showalter because he checks all four of the boxes that I talked about a few minutes ago, fine. Like I'm not opposed to it. Brad Osmus checks those boxes, fine. But I think some fans just, and understandably so, the results haven't been there for the Mets and their last two managers were inexperienced as far as being a big league manager prior to getting the Mets job. Um, Terry Collins, the manager prior to that, brought them to the World Series and he had managerial experience before, albeit pretty terrible managerial experience before, but he had done the job. So I understand why fans may just want a different look. And, you know, I understand why they want Buck. I have my questions about Buck. I don't know how much he's in on today's game and where the Mets are headed. Uh, But if he's truly on board, then it, it obviously wouldn't be it wouldn't be terrible, I don't think. So I look at this list and, you know, to me. Yeah, you have your your guys that have been there, done that. You know, Buck is one manager of the year, I think, in uh, I think three different decades. Right. I think it's 94. It's basically 10 years apart. 94, 04, 14. Uh, maybe he's due then pretty soon again. So he's someone that has a, a lifetime of doing this job. Osmus is kind of the polarizing guy because he hasn't gotten it done with different chances in the past. But it's clear that Billy Epler sees something in him that you know he he's a true believer you know don i'm like you i don't know anything about quattrero and i don't really know a lot about don kelly besides the fact that he was like this utility player that literally could play all nine positions at one point when he was an actual player Uh, i'm the most intrigued by espada if i'm gonna be honest with you and i i will be you know i get on this podcast and i feel like i have a a generally pretty strong opinion on a lot of things you know who they should target in free agency um, which hires they should make for the front office and, you know, where I stand on how I feel about certain prospects or lineups and all those things. Manager typically is one where I'm a little bit more neutral, right? Like I won't have a, it's anything close to a meltdown if they hire somebody that like Showalter. And once again, we're going to get into this. Showalter doesn't really do it for me personally. I, I don't think, um, it's the hire that I'm excited by. I don't really know if it's the hire that I think, you know, just fixes whatever they had going on in the clubhouse last year. Maybe there's a part of me, though, that also likes that he's been there, done that in a way of, you know, been in big moments. And this is a veteran team um, that he might know how to get the most out of veterans, which can be a very hard thing for anyone to do. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's not the one where I'm like sitting there going, this is the guy. This is the guy with the spot I'm the most intrigued by all humans, especially sports fans are always intrigued by the unknown. And this is someone while who has not been a manager has been coaching in baseball for a very long time. He, you know, started out in the Marlins organization. He has coached uh, with the Puerto Rican national team in the world baseball classic in 2013. He has uh, coached in the Yankees organization where he's crossed over with Epler before And he obviously is with the Astros. So he has been around guys like Joe Girardi, Dusty Baker. Uh, He's been in the dugout with, you know, some big time managers and has seen probably what works. He's coached around a lot of great ballplayers. I just think they're, you know, obviously it was 2013. But with that being said, you know, having the connection to the Puerto Rican national baseball team. Uh, we know a guy named Francisco Lindor is going to be here for a very long time. You know, I think I think the coaching decision does matter for guys that are key pieces here for a long time, like Lindor. Obviously, you know, even though it's a three-year deal, like Scherzer and DeGrom in this situation, uh, those guys should have some kind of influence. So I think for me, uh, once again, I'm intrigued by Espada because he's done his time being an assistant coach all over the place. He has a lifetime of baseball experience around a lot of successful people. And I think that at age 46, I think there's probably an energy with him that I think can really matter in today's game. And at 65, you know, I respect what Buckshaw Walter has done. I wouldn't be shocked if they hire him. I wouldn't complain about it. But I'm just going to be honest, Joe, it doesn't particularly excite me. 
and uh, it's hard to see the true long-term vision. It feels like a, you know, and a lot of the Mets moves have been like this, but it truly feels like the World Series are bust within two years kind of method. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think if they hire Buck, that's that message that we're going for the World Series right now. We're I don't not, like that thought. We're, and Billy Apple, and I know a lot of fans are just probably listening to this right now going, duh, win the World Series now. What do I care about years from now? Well, I mean, Billy Epler mentioned multiple times at his press conference, at the most recent press conference, that their decision making is based on winning multiple World Series, winning World Series down the road. Uh, we don't want to, they don't want to sacrifice future World Series odds for, you know, a, a mild improvement in their odds current day. Uh, so a guy like Showalter, he might help your odds to win right now. Uh, if Max Scherzer really wants him, maybe some other veterans do, you know, I would complete, like you said, I'd completely understand the hire. I have some questions about him philosophically as far, um, him staying in tune with where the game is going and where the Mets are going specifically. Um, the, the analytics team is going to be over 30 people deep before opening day. So if you don't think, or if you don't want the Mets to become analytically driven, I'm sorry. That's where they're headed. Uh, they're not just where the hiring. game's gone, man. Yeah, it's where the game's gone. It's where the great teams are, and they're not. They're not turning back. So if Buck, you know, maybe Buck's mind is opened up. Like let's let's also be fair. I'm not so much worried about the age thing, more other than just length of stay as manager. Like at 65, how long does Buck want to do it? Because I mean, the World Series was. Dusty Baker, who's how old? And Brian Snickers, who, who's how old? Uh, Tony LaRusso was very successful with the White Sox. So there are analytically driven teams that are hiring older managers. So I don't think that part is really much of a concern out, other than I would, in an ideal world, be finding the manager for the long term. I'm trying to find my Alex Cora in an ideal world, where it's a guy that's going to manage here for a very long time. Um, but I can understand if they want to go Buck Showalter, go for it right now. And then in a couple years or whatever, when he's done, revisit and then find that next guy. Uh, but if they're going to hire a first time manager, a major league manager, I agree with you. I like Espada a little more than at least what I'm reading from Quatrero and Don Kelly. Uh, both those guys appear to be, you know, future major league managers. Espada just feels like he's done. He's done more um, as far as on a big league staff. Like like I mentioned, he does basically all of the game planning for the Astros. Dusty is kind of just a people manager. So Espada interests me the most. I have a lot of questions about Ausmus, but those questions are also kind of similar to the questions we had about Billy Epler. And they seem to connect. So I think you should keep an eye on him, frankly. If they hired anyone from this list, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I don't I don't know what their preference is, uh, but by all accounts, it looks like it's a really strong list. There's no one on it that I look at and go, ew, if they hire that guy, that would be terrible. Um, at least, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. But, you know, Buck's a very interesting case that I would say it's very, uh, very torn. A lot of the fan base, I, I put up something on Twitter, who do you want as manager uh, the other day? And I got hundreds of replies, uh, a lot of Buck Showalter responses in there. So I think there's a lot of people that are are game for Buck. And, you know, it seems like there's a, a very real possibility he gets the job. And unlike that wonderful general manager search that made our lives crazy for a month and a half, it sounds as if they might have a manager by the end of next week. Like it's this is a, a fast moving thing. I think Epler had a longer list. You mentioned Curtis Granderson and maybe Bruce Bochy was on that original list, though um, I heard he's not looking to get back into it. Um, I think this is the whittled down list where he's whittled it down to his prime candidates. And uh, Andy Martino also mentioned Bob Guerin as an option today uh, that's going to be interviewing. He was the Mets bench coach in 2015, and he's been the bench coach for the Dodgers uh, for the last few years. So that's just another name on there. But it feels like this is your list, and we are potentially merely days away from the Mets naming their next manager. 
And one more note, I said a spot a coach, you know, for the Puerto Rican team in the World Baseball Classic in 2013. He did also coach third base for them in 2017. So there's crossover with him uh, and Lindor, Edwin Diaz and Seth Lugo. So I, I mean, it's a little nugget and some people won't care about that. But I I like that there are relationships there um, that matter a lot on this club, like Lindor, like Diaz, of course, and um, the fact that. You know, Epler, he has a relationship with Epler, of course, as well. So it's interesting. It's I'm not going to really be like down and out by anyone they hire. I'm going to be pretty open minded. I'm I'm really glad that in a way the big moves this team has made has, has taken some of the pressure and eyes off who they hire at manager. Like when the Mets don't make moves, this is all people talk about. But the fact that the team matters so much more than who they hire at manager is a good sign. So. With that being said, getting into some players and moving on from and we'll react on YouTube when they make that hire. And we will like a reminder, uh, the reminder from earlier, we will be on YouTube at 430 Eastern time on Thursday with Ron. Um, you released your pretty updated pretty often your Mets prospect list on SNY. It had been a little bit since your last one, but your top 20 Mets prospect list on SNY. And there were absolutely uh, noteworthy things. That stuck out to me when I opened this up. Some movement, which is always exciting to see. And it's probably exciting for you, honestly. You don't want to be writing the same freaking top 20 over and over again. So, and I want everyone to go read this on SMY. So I'm not going to sit here and go through the whole thing or give away the whole thing. Number one, no surprise, Francisco Alvarez, the Mets prize catching prospect. One of the most exciting prospects in all of baseball. But number two, Joe, where the common Mets fan would expect Ronnie Mauricio, uh, Brett Beatty has climbed up to number two now I I now use the words you know climbed up rather than Mauricio falling because in my opinion Beatty really really earned the spot right yeah I don't think it's necessarily anything bad that Mauricio did where it's just like I have to I, I wasn't dropping Mauricio above Beatty I was just putting Beatty above Mauricio uh so I look at that as a positive towards Beatty and Mauricio is still a top 50 or so prospect in baseball. So like he's a very, very good prospect in himself, but uh, Beatty's just probably the best hitter that they pure hitter that they have in the organization right now. Um, very consistent, hard contact to all fields, gap to gap. He's got power. Uh, the in-game power isn't quite there yet where like a guy like Alvarez and, and uh, Mark Vientos who hit over 20 home runs this year, those guys have their in-game power kind of more present, uh, Beatty's what well, did fine. I think he hit 14 or 15 this year. So there's still, you know, he still hit home runs, um, but he actually made some alterations to his swing late in the season and, and took that to the Arizona fall league uh, that they believe they're going to bring some more loft into his game. And you're going to see a lot of those hard hit doubles that he did turn into home runs where they just carry a little further. Uh, he's just a, a fantastic hitter uh, when at the Arizona Fall League, he hit 292 with a 373 on base and made their the Fall Stars game. Uh, so he was, so that I mean, if you don't know what the Arizona Fall League, it's kind of a collection of some of the top prospects in baseball, and they go and they play for a month or so. Um, and Beatty was one of the best of the best. So he's he's something to really really keep an eye on uh, defensively. The Mets have given him some reps in left field to increase his versatility, uh, but he's made some strides at third base where people in the game tell me they think he's going to be fine at third. He's probably not going to win you any gold gloves, uh, but he's not going to be booting the ball over the place. So I think he should stick as a third baseman. Um, I have the expectation that he'll probably start the year in AAA um, in 2022, which makes him simply a call away. And uh, in that piece at SNY, for each of the 20 players, I gave an estimated time of arrival to the big leagues and um, got some grief on this in the comments and things like that. But uh, I put his ETA as 2022. I think if Beatty continues on the path that he's going, uh, he's he's going to make he'll make it to Queens at some point in this season. And that that would be really exciting to watch because he was you know, an older high school prospect when they drafted him and he has come into the system and basically met every expectation as a big time bat with a professional approach. But most importantly, as you outlined in the article, you know, there are people internally that think 
Uh, he could stick at third base, and, and they'll monitor some reps in the outfield as well, and, and he can make a legitimate impact for this club. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. Now, the second thing that stuck out to me on this list is Alex Ramirez at number seven, who you describe as a true center fielder. Um, and just a loaded with traits is what we would call it in, in NFL scouting. Basically, this guy has all of the raw ability to turn into a, a pretty big time MLB player, uh, but the consistency is not there. And as you know, a raw 18 year old, that's that's not surprising. So, you know, what has stuck out to you with Alex Ramirez and as he jumps into uh, a, a pretty prominent spot at number seven. He's he's right outside that group that we constantly reference that these are the, the top of the Mets farm system. He's right on the outside looking in. And if if he continues to progress, as I expect, he's going to be in that group next year. Um, a couple of years ago, Ramirez was signed for $2 million in the international signing period by the Mets. Uh, so a big signing bonus uh, move there. Um, he's been described to me as a tool shed. You mentioned traits, uh, just call it tools. He has the, he has at least a little bit of all five tools, which there's no one else in the organization that I think can really speak to that. Um, he shows the ability to hit for contact. Uh, he shows the ability to hit for some pop. Uh, obviously that still needs plenty of development. His whole offensive game still does, but you're looking at it and he looks the part. Um, he shows you, like I said, a little bit of everything. Uh, there was some balls this year that he was hitting 105 mile an hour exit velocity, 109 mile an hour exit velocity. That's legitimate big league, you know, exit velocity. Uh, he can run, he can play center field. He's got a good throwing arm. Like Ramirez is a guy that for me, I have him number seven. Uh, I didn't consider putting him any higher, uh, but I did. In my when I was mocking it up originally, I did have Khalil Lee over him because uh, when I do this, it's a balance of talking to scouts, front office personnel, um, floor versus upside, proximity to the major leagues. It's kind of it kind of all factors in, and I just 
the upside of Ramirez just to me outweighed Kalili's proximity to the major leagues because he might, I mean, Kalili might make the major leagues on opening day. He might be on the bench for the Mets. And while Ramirez should probably be in Brooklyn, but it wouldn't shock me if this time next year we're talking about Ramirez in the same ilk that we're talking about the Ronnie Mauricio's guys like that. I could see a huge jump from her for him in uh, 2022. All right, the last one in the top 10 um, that caught my eye that is, is making his debut, I believe, within the top 10 because he was the Mets' second-round pick from last year's draft, so probably the most noteworthy guy from last year's draft. Uh, Calvin Ziegler, the right-handed pitcher uh, from Canada, and you had written three-pitch mix with a fastball, touch 97, and 100% spin efficiency. So uh, some big-time stuff here. I-, I liked that you threw in the comp to... You know, Simeon Woods Richardson, who they traded to Toronto, but always had big time stuff, a young arm. Uh, what You know, we're waiting for Ziegler to really make his Mets minors debut, but yeah. there has to be a lot of excitement about what that arm can bring, whether it is as a reliever or a starter. And, and you did note that his future is looking like big league starter. Yeah, he had to work out some visa issues, uh, so he wasn't able to make his debut this this summer, which frankly, it would have been very short. I mean, like Dominic Hamill, who I ranked just outside the top 10, he was the third rounder last year. I think he threw six innings or something like that. So it would have been 10 innings tops probably for Ziegler. So you really wouldn't have had much of a sample size to go off. Uh, but there was many in baseball um, that thought that the Mets reached when they drafted Ziegler in the second round uh, and considered it a bit of a cost saving move. Uh, because Kumar Rocker was going to take a $6 million signing bonus and they needed to save some bonus pool money somewhere. Um, but certainly talking to people with the Mets, uh, they don't agree. They they had Ziegler high on their list. Um, Mark Tremuda said in interviews that they thought Ziegler was one of the best high school pitchers that they saw in person, period, in the draft. Uh, like I said, it's a, a very athletic player on the mound, which is a model that the Mets like. So keep that in your head as we start talking about the 2022 draft. And when you start reading up on some of these prospects and you hear us talk about it, when we're talking about athleticism on the mound, it's something that's something that the Mets look for. Um, so he, he has that, like I said, it's uh fastball right now. It'll touch 97. He's put, po- I think he posted a video that he may have touched 98 before. Um, but as far as I know, in game, he hasn't gone higher than 97. Um, spin rate, spin efficiency, all that's super important measurements nowadays. Uh, he has a good feel for his curveball, which is, you know, he has the ability to spin it. There's some spin rates uh, there. Change up needs quite a bit of work. And just his overall command needs a lot of work. So he's very, very raw. Uh, there's, there are some, there's a bit of a wide range of outcomes here where, where kind of he can end up. But the Mets think that they drafted a quality athlete with quality stuff, the ability to spin a baseball, and they can teach him uh, the other traits that he needs to, you know, continue to grow. But with Kumar Rocker not signing, uh, Calvin Ziegler is the highest draft pick of the Mets in the 2021 draft. So they're they're very excited about him, and I, I think he definitely warrants making the top ten. All right, so we spent a lot of time on the top ten. Last one from me about your top twenty prospects list. Who is the guy outside of the top 10 or even at number 10 that you find yourself the most intrigued by, most likely because of ceiling or, or other reasons um, that could have a, a big rise or maybe a earlier than expected debut? I'm going to go all the way down to number 20, and I'm going to talk about Joel Diaz. Uh, he was signed in the 2020 slash 2021 signing class. Uh, he was in the Dominican Summer League. And he just posted stupid numbers. He had a 0.54 ERA in 50 and a third innings. Um, For a 17-year-old pitcher, he's a pure strike thrower, which is not very often that you see the very young players being able to consistently throw strikes like he does. Um, His fastball right now, it'll touch 95, 96. It's more low 90s right now. Um, Above average changeup, kind of has a bit of a feel for a curveball. Uh, a bit of a pop-up prospect because he wasn't he wasn't your big signing bonus guy, so kind of so so to speak came out of nowhere. Um, 
So a lot, there's a lot of ways his future could go. Uh, but Diaz is a guy that I think if we can look a year from now, and I think he can end up being a good amount higher than where I have him at 20. Um, some would say that he might be just outside the top 20. Uh, but I want to, I wanted to pick him over a guy that I thought had very limited ceiling who I would have at number 21. If this list went to 30, um, I just decided to put Diaz over him for the sake of getting that name out there, get people familiar with a young talent, throw strikes, has some arm talent and can, uh, you know, maybe be a real starter down the road. He's like a, a long, long way away. I mean, I put his ET at 2025. So you, you got a while to wait on Joel Diaz, but I think he's someone that he's someone that merits watching. Good stuff, man. I think it's uh, everybody that, you know, listens to this pod knows that one of the, you know, fun things we do that I'm sure a lot of others don't because we have Joe here on every episode as a host of the pod is, is the draft and the scouting and the prospects of the system. And I think it's an exciting time more so than ever to keep tabs on these guys because the Mets are going to have a huge draft ahead where they it's no secret. They have a ton of picks, two first round picks. Uh, you know, obviously plenty of picks in that second to third round kind of range. And as much as they've gone out and spent a lot of money, they are going to dedicate big time resources to building this up and being a team that does once again have a prominent farm system to match the big league club. So with that being said, it's time to get into the mailbag. Plenty of good questions this week. We did take two of them already from Matt Campion and Matt Williams about the manager uh, managerial search. This next one from Johnny, kind of a little bit of the same topic, but different. With all the talk of hiring a new manager, who is your favorite Mets manager in your lifetime? Joe, I'll let you go first. I'm going to go Bobby V. And, Me too. Uh, so I'm going Bobby V just because it was really like my formative years of really being into baseball. So I was born in 88. Uh, so 2000, I'm 12 years old. Like that's the the prime of really learning baseball. And uh, I loved everything that Bobby V brought to the table. He was fiery. He was energetic. Um, he seemed to have a good handle on the players and the Mets went to a world series with him. So uh, I would go Bobby V for that reason. Yeah, I would too. Um, and it's kind of pretty much the same thing that you said. Like I was born in 91. So what I remember growing up as a Mets fan is a lot of those, Bobby V years and and he's one of the most successful managers in the history of the franchise, right? He's third in in winning percentage. Uh so, you know, ironically it's funny how little we talk about Willie Randolph considering he is second in winning percentage and was with the team from 05 to 08, more prominent years in our um, you know, childhood, teen years, whatever you want to call it. And it's just that it felt like those teams underachieved so much, and that's why a lot of people um, don't talk about the Willie era so much. And, you know, I, I like most Mets fans, I really grew to appreciate Terry, I think, after he left because obviously the video, where the, the jackpot video, <laughs> because you, you don't get to see that side of these guys, and you realize how much Terry cared about his players, how fiery Terry was, and how... You know, Terry had that kind of New York energy, that fiery temper. Um, and also, you know, what a lot of people forget with Terry was he came here at a time when the Mets were in the dumpster. I mean, 2011, this team was in a stretch where they were unwatchable for the most part. Right. You, you starting to get into the era of when David Wright is dealing with significant injuries. They're not spending a lot of money externally. Uh, they just weren't a fun franchise to root for. I hate to say it, but 2011, 2012, uh, 2013, you know, they won between 74 and 77 games those years. They were a bad baseball team and they finished in fourth place, fourth place and third place. And then 2014, you start to see some things. And then 2015 was uh, the buildup where they went to a World Series. And I I'm glad Terry was here for that because he sat through a lot of garbage that, quite frankly, was really out of his hands. And, you know, I'm probably guilty of it at some point where complaining about decisions he made or, or decisions he didn't make or whatever it may be. But I think I look back on the Terry Collins era and go, you know what? 
considering he had to manage this team during the Will Ponds, um, you know, post Ponzi scheme, it, it, I don't think it's easy an easy spot to be in. And at that age, he didn't have to go out and do that. And I think that uh, I'm glad that we all look back at Terry and appreciate his time here. Totally agree. He's he's very much a look back and appreciate kind of guy because, I mean, we like you said, we complained about moves he made. And whoever the Mets hire as a manager in the next week or two, we're going to complain about the moves they make, too. And then <laughs> hope but hopefully they bring us to a uh, World Series and we're able to look back fondly on them. Uh, quick Bobby V story. So uh, my day job, I work IT. So I do IT. I do this. I do writing. I do all that. But in my day job in IT uh, in Connecticut, where I live, Bobby V was part of a celebrity, uh, like some celebrity charity softball game thing. And he came to my job two years in a row during lunch hour. And uh, I had the opportunity the first year, um, friends with people there. So I was able to spend a few minutes with them, just talk baseball with Bobby Valentine. It was really, really cool. Then the second year I go up, I start talking to him again. And uh, he goes, I remember you. you <laughs> we, we were talking baseball for a few minutes last year, right? And I went, yeah, yeah, for sure. So we start talking for a minute and he goes, I'm going to go grab lunch because it was during lunch hour in, in the cafeteria. And he goes, where do you sit for lunch? And I was just like, I don't know, one of those tables. He was like, do you mind if I sit with you? And I was like, sure. So I Absolutely. Up, <laughs> so, I, so I ended up uh, spending a full lunch with a couple of friends and uh, Bobby Valentine. <laughs> that is that's an, you've never told me that story. And yeah. that is awesome. And I think that um, it sums up Bobby pretty well. Right. Like he's just a dude that it's no secret. He's he's gone into politics that uh, just, you know, he can relate to, to he can really shine anywhere in a sense. He can kind of light up a room in a sense or just start having a conversation, especially about baseball anywhere. And the fact that he remembered you. Uh, that doesn't really surprise me. My only Bobby V story was many moons ago. I mean, I'm talking this had to be, I would think, the 2002 season. So when I, I think I've talked about this on the pod before that my dad was a volunteer um, cook for the Widows and Orphans Foundation, you know, because my dad was a firefighter on the FDNY. Um, so he was involved in the organization and they always did a big event at Shea Stadium every year. And I used to go as a kid. And this I think I've told the story when I snuck out onto center field through the bullpen at one of these events. But with Bobby, when I was I was a kid, he was walking through just a horde of people at this event trying to get from point A to point B and walking by a lot of people. And I just held up a baseball as high as I could. And he grabbed my baseball and signed it and ca and just kept mo he I mean, he had to get somewhere. It was freaking Bobby V. Um, so I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. Everybody's looking at me like, why did he grab this kid? And no reason at all. I just got really, really lucky. Uh, so I think that has ingrained in me some of my uh, Bobby V being my favorite manager of this team. And I'm sure a lot of people our age, Joe, uh, agree with that just because you associate a lot of good memories with the team. Uh, the mustache and glasses in the dugout <laughs> meme, which I've recently brought back lately. All right. So I, I love that story. Um, from Abe, what are the chances the Mets keep JD and Dom and platoon them in the DH role? So I think this is something you and I talked about on a stream recently um, from the comment section, bringing this up as well. I'm not ruling this out. Uh, there's part of me. It's sinking in Joe that like, I just think I don't know if they could even trade JD, honestly. And maybe that's just me uh, overthinking this entire thing. I don't really know if anyone's like, because I don't know if you're looking to just give him away completely coming off a year where he probably could not even had feeling in his hand. And you know what kind of bat he can be if he's just a bat. He's not a position player. Um, and the fact that they've spent so much money in other areas, right? Like guys that are actually going to play positions like Canna and. Escobar and Marte and then big time money for a frontline starter, an ace like Scherzer that and you don't know if the big money is there to go get someone that's going to DH. You don't know if they like Pete in the DH role. Pete's spoken out against it before. Uh, my bottom line is I'm not ruling this out. 
I just I don't know if the Mets are going to go into the year and t- take the DH as a, we'll see who's the hot hand kind of role, or if they actually will have a real stern plan that they stick to the first month or two of the season. Yeah, I'm not sure how they plan to handle the DH. And of course, we've mentioned it ad nauseum. Robinson Cano has to be a part of the equation, um, at least on paper. We don't know how that all is going to shake out. Um, I don't know how high the chances are. I still think there's a very real chance one of, if not both, J.D. and Dom are traded when the lockout ends. Um, I still think there's more moves to be made. I don't think it's all going to be via free agency. And I don't think the Mets really want to trade from their top prospects. I think they're kind of overdoing that and they want to you know, be, start to build up that farm system. So if you're able to find the right home for a JD or a Dom, I still think that's a very distinct possibility it happens. Uh, but I think the the overarching point here is whether they're platooning in, in the DH role or not, um, maybe we shouldn't be so, so quick to push them out the door because they could potentially be valuable depth pieces for this team in 2022. Uh, like you said, maybe J.D. Davis is essentially just a power bat off the bench. Um, Dom Smith has a little versatility, and if, if uh, Pete spends some time at DH, Dom can play first base. We know he's a quality first baseman. So uh, I still think they have options there. It won't be, it won't shock me if they're traded. Won't shock me if they're on the roster when they report to Port St. Lucie. Uh, I think there's certainly multiple ways that they could go with it. But I kind of think, I don't think the DH is something that you really uh, platoon. I think it's more, you have, you have an everyday type of DH or you just spread the DH role based on guys wanting days off or things like that. Right. Yeah. I I think looking at the DH role, you would like to have a little consistency in there and you would like to have a a big bopper and, you know, JD and Dama flash power at times, but you're not going to go into the year relying on them to actually be power pieces when that just didn't exist last year. So you're not going to give away players because I mean, let's not forget the Mets were down to literally Cameron Mabin at one point last year, I think batting third or cleanup in the lineup before. So giving away cost effective players cannot be part of the plan, but also writing guys in ink that like Cano, like JD, like Dom. I know some people will disagree on McNeil. I'm more comfortable once again with the McNeil bounce back than any of those three guys. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting conversation. And I, I would like to reiterate when this lockout ends, I think the Mets have something up their sleeves that's going to surprise people in terms of one more big move. And, and that can dictate a lot of this conversation. So the last question in today's mailbag from Steve Miller, of course, who always sends us uh, multiple questions a week. We appreciate that, Steve. And I really liked this one from you. He said, I've heard rumblings about the 2022 draft class being much deeper than the 2021 draft class. Is that how you see it so far? Or is it too soon to tell? What do you think of this, Joe? So in my piece for SNY, I threw in a little short paragraph about the draft picks and kind of what that means. Um, So I asked around. So interestingly, you know, he asked this question. I asked around. And from what I heard, the class is stronger. It's deeper. Um, specifically in high school position players. That right now is kind of the early read on what the, the strength of the class is, is with the high school position players, which all you have to do is go look, just Google list of Mets first round picks and look how many high school <laughs> position players they've drafted over the last decade. It's, it's a model that they like to go back to. Uh, so don't be shocked if you have one of those top picks uh, being from that pool. But by all accounts, you know, it is early. Um, There's still going to be guys that rise and fall. There's going to be pop-up guys that I don't even know much about now that I'm going to be talking about as options in the first round uh, come next summer. So it's still early as far as breaking down the class uh, because the the season doesn't really get started for high school and and college baseball until like March. So we got got a little bit of a, a break there, but the early word, because, I mean, when you talk to scouts and people in baseball, like they've been scouting these kids for years. So this just this is just the culmination of years of work on them. And by all accounts, they say it's a stronger and deeper class than last year. So it's a good thing that the Mets uh, have some extra picks this year. Um, it's unfortunate that that 
that it came at the expense of not signing Kamar Rocker. Like that's something that obviously is an unfortunate situation that uh, came down, but you are where you are and they have the extra capital. I'm, I'm right now assuming that there's not some change of heart and Michael Conforto somehow returns to the Mets. I don't see how it fits, but uh, as long as that doesn't happen, the Mets are positioning themselves right now to have six of the top 100 picks in the draft, uh, which not only obviously gives you the opportunity to add six of the top 100 talents in the draft, but you also have financial flexibility because with the draft, unlike the NFL draft, which is where Connor shines, um, you just draft the best player when you're up and that's it. Uh, in baseball, there is cost factors because you have each pick within the top 10 rounds of the draft um, have a slot value. And so you just add up your top 10 round picks and that's your bonus pool. And you're able to spend that however you wish within that 10 rounds. So you can go on their slot in the first round, which I will say often people complain that they don't want to go on their slot. If you go look at signing bonuses for the first round this year, about 90 plus percent of them are under slot. Uh, teams tend to go under slot early. Doesn't mean you're sacrificing much talent. Example, Brett Beatty was an under slot signing. Jared Kelnick was an under slot signing. Um, so it's very common to go under slot in the first because that's where you're going to save the most money because the bonus pool is higher on those picks. Uh, so they're going to have flexibility with finances and obviously the ability to add six of the top 100 talents in the draft. Uh, is going to make a big boost to a farm system that really needs the depth. Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is the timing couldn't be more perfect, right? We went over your top 20 prospects today on today's show, and you look at it, and you can kind of see you know, a lot of the Mets thinking, in a sense, if you're just outlining everything. A lot of guys now on a two-year time period in terms of money, and that's Canna, Escobar, uh, obviously Cano, and, and then you have guys that, are expected to be here by the end of those two years, like Beatty, like Vientos. And, you know, Alvarez uh, is a really young guy. Uh, we'll see. But we think by, you know, the end of year three of McCann's deal that then Alvarez slots in. And then you need another wave. Um, you know, there's been obviously plenty of international signings or or draft picks of younger high school kind of players that you're hoping can be that next wave. But you need more, and, and having those six premium picks, the two first-rounders, is most of what the Mets' trend of drafting high school position players um, is most likely where that wave is coming from, along with a guy like Matt Allen that's getting healthy and you know you see a ton of upside in and, and have to be really excited about. So that is – it's vital um, for the future of this team in that you know we constantly talk about this two-year window of, hey, hopefully they can win a World Series – and then you have the five-year window where you can see the top prospects that you hope hit and play with guys like Lindor and Pete. And then you have the, you know, maybe eight-year window where you're like, okay, this draft matters a lot. So it's going to be fun to watch it play out. But episode 71, the Hunter Strickland episode, Joe, closing thoughts. Yeah, another great episode. Uh, maybe this time next week, we'll be talking about a managerial hire. Who knows? It seems like it's uh, moving pretty fast and furious but uh yeah no appreciate everyone checking out uh my work over at sny so if you just go on my twitter at psl the flushing you see the link to my top 20 prospects please go ahead and read that for me um obviously here podcasts you probably subscribe if you're listening if not make sure you hit that subscribe button uh leave five star reviews Leave us uh, the written reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we'll throw them into the show every week, guaranteed. Um, and check out the YouTube channel where uh, it's, we're growing in subscribers. Right now, I'm, I have that vision on that 1,000 subscriber count. We're still at, last I looked, was like 680 or something. Um, so that dusty YouTube needs to hit that hit that 1,000 number. So let's get going there. And, of course, like uh, Connor mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we'll be live Thursday, 4.30 Eastern uh, with musician and big-time Mets fan Ron Pope. So um, I'm really excited for that conversation. Uh, based on the conversations that I've had with Ron offline about the Mets, uh, I, I don't know if you guys know what you're getting yourself into by watching him. It's <laughs> it, it's it's going to be something. 
<laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. We can't wait. And, and once again, or as Joe said, thank you to everyone with the Apple reviews, uh, Steph Anderson, Tom G, and trying to become the king were the last three reviews we got. Really nice. Appreciate that. That helps the show. And we'll catch everyone on Thursday. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dawes. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.